0: Welcome to Shock Your Potential, business podcast meets radio talk show. My guests are everyday people trying to make a difference in leadership, sales, and customer service. I apply the Tell Me More principles from my book to help each person facilitate a solution that works for them. Join us today as we meet another great person trying to make a difference in this world. Welcome again to Shock Your Potential, the business podcast that focuses on excellence in leadership, sales, and the customer experience. Although sometimes we take a little different track, And we talk about organizations that are making differences in our communities all around the country. And joining me today is Lisa Nelson Haynes, and she is the executive director of the Philly Young Playwrights. And I met her at the Pennsylvania Women's Conference a few weeks ago and was very impressed by the uh, mission and vision of this organization and wanted to share a little bit of their story. So, Lisa, welcome and thank
1: you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to have an opportunity to have this conversation with you.
0: I'm very excited as well. So, you know, let's just jump right into it. Can you tell me a little bit about you and a little bit about your organization?
1: Sure. Um, So my own artistic practice is storytelling. I went to um, graduate school for film at Temple. I enjoy documentary film work. Um, But in the middle of all of that, I realized that um, first of all, the stories that I was looking to tell, by the time they got on the screen, it was a very different story. And I was really looking for some sort of process or model that would allow me to go and work with people and communities, different you know, constituents, and get their stories in their own voices. Um, and about, I guess, um, a couple of years later, I learned this process called digital storytelling and I and I worked in that format for a while. And then about 2 years ago an opportunity came about where Philadelphia Young Playwrights was looking for a new executive director. And I decided to throw my hat in the ring because I thought, you know, what a wonderful opportunity to work with young people and to help them, you know, learn the skills to tell their own stories. And I just feel quite strongly that storytelling is really a a great way to cultivate agency and self-advocacy skills. And that's what we do here at Philadelphia Young Playwrights through um, playwriting, using playwriting as a vehicle to empower students to develop agency and advocacy, and to expand their written literacy skills. So there are some very basic tenets that we adhere to, but we just use playwriting as that vehicle to help young people unleash their potential and their imaginations.
0: I love it and I think it's so important especially when you talk about the critical role of storytelling because we can have an opportunity to have messages stick in a different way depending on how they're told but specifically in this age where we are texting and our thoughts are coming through in you know Twitter uh, character limits and you know so such brief interchanges that Act, most of the time are very impersonal. How does that impact your ability to reach a student now, given what's going on? Because it's vastly different than when you and I were in school, right? and right. we were writing all the time, and we didn't have those mediums interacting and interfering with our ability to communicate. What's different about today?
1: Well, you know, I think that's very interesting because you know, um, one of the things that I I noticed when I was preparing to, you know, interview and going through that process for the job, the one thing that I saw that the organization I thought was lacking was connecting technology, specifically technology, to what the students were doing, because I know that students are very interested and engaged with technology. So, excuse me, so that's why we started the podcast, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. But what I find is that What we find from a lot of our classroom teachers is that our program that we take into the classroom really does inspire a lot of students that in the past were not really engaged with writing. I think that they get inspired by the idea that they're not limited by, you know, the 140 characters or they don't feel like what they're putting on paper has to be what I call the curated life that we see on Instagram and Facebook—that it's there's a, there's a new type of freedom for them that they can, um, you know, almost, you know, write, you know, sp- they begin the process almost as a stream of consciousness that they're just there's things that are just tumbling out and it's limitless. Like I'm like, yes, you can just keep keep writing and then we'll start working to form it into, you know, a, a stru- the structure of a play. But let's just start getting those thoughts and ideas out.
0: I love that, especially, you know, and and your reference to how we are trying to show the world so often this perfect life that we all live via all these channels. And it's, there's no perfection anywhere. So to be able to have an outlet to have that stream of consciousness, I think is very important. So tell me a little bit about the process. How does this work with your students? So you have a number of
1: volunteers who go
0: into the classroom. You know, what does that look like in terms of how it presents?
1: You know, we we don't have a number of volunteers. What we have are professional teaching artist. Um, We have a very rigorous professional development process here where we hire a lot of my teaching artists They either come from a theater background or they may come from an education background. And what we have is professional development uh, workshops that are mandatory for them to participate in before they go into the classroom. And what they do is they develop a real partnership with the classroom teacher. This is not a program we come in and the teacher sits in the back of the class and she's able to, you know, check her email or anything like that. She's very much engaged with what we're doing in the classroom. We work very closely with classroom teachers to complement what they're doing. We're only looking to enhance what's going on in the classroom. And so we have two teaching artists that go in, most of our residencies are 25 hours, but for every school that's different. One school that could be one hour a week, so we might be there 25 weeks. For another school, depending on their schedule, it could be two 40-minute classes a week. So it really depends in each school. Every program, every classroom that we go into, it's customized for that classroom.
0: So what does that look like then when, you know, so as you're going in there, you're trying to become a part of what they're already doing and enhance it, which is phenomenal. So, you know, on a... Uh, on a given uh, semester or the time frame that you're in a class, how do you help these children start to unleash this potential within themselves?
1: Well, we go in and we have, you know, a curriculum that is developed to start introducing um, new terms to them, things like protagonist and antagonist, And, you know, these are things that you see in all types of scripted narratives. And so we start talking about popular things that they might see on television so they can start identifying what those characters are. And we start talking about story arc and just introducing a new vocabulary to the students. Another thing that I think is very important is for these students to understand that they already come to the table with an aesthetic. Now, most of them have not even heard the word aesthetic before, but we want them to be aware that they already have an aesthetic. And we start talking about, you know, well, how do you express that aesthetic that you already have? Well, let's talk about what you're wearing. Okay. What are you projecting? that's a part of your aesthetic. And and so what what we're trying to do with them is is to start thinking about not just the character and what they're saying and doing but in the totality of a character. You know, like I said, what are they what are they wearing? What are what's going on in the space? What are you smelling? What are those textures like? You know, all of those types of things. And once students start getting comfortable with really getting into details and things like that, then we start We start writing exercises with them, okay? And by the end of our residency program, every student walks out with at least a two-act play, many of them even more than that if they really get into the writing because we have a lot of students that they already love to write and they know that they love to write, so they really, you know, they take to our program quite easily. But for a lot of students, this is really a new process. What a lot of our schools you know, I think it's very challenging for teachers because they're so mandated to almost teach to a test.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, you know, and there's some lacking of creativity and that that is has that's no fault of the teachers, because most of the teachers, they have wonderful and very creative ideas. They just don't have the time to implement them. Well, when they're able to bring us into the classroom, this is really a time for a student to step away from we're not talking about academic writing here. Yes, there is a structure to writing a play, and that's what we're going to teach you. But really, what we say is you can write about whatever you want. Now, if I'm going into a history class and we're taking our program into a history class, a teacher might say, well, I want to write something around the Vietnam War. That's what we're studying right now. And so then we will say to the the students, this is the period that we're writing around. We need you to incorporate the war into your story. But for a lot of our classrooms, we're not mandated in that way. And so, you know, students come with some of the most incredible stories that you wouldn't believe. And I've also had parents say to me, you know what, my, my child won't even let me read their story because they say that I don't have to. They, what we do is they, we tell them things like they use, sometimes they'll use, you know, spicier language, vowel words, things like that. But we let them do that because it's only going to be in that safe space where that, that work is going to be shared.
0: They're going to be able to have the freedom to have their, exactly. their message uh, exactly. told the way they want to. Yes.
1: Exactly. Wonderful. So, you know, sometimes that's challenging for some parents, you know, but we really want kids to understand that there is a whole nother space out here where their voice, their narrative, their stories are valued. You know what i mean and they just need to start sharing them in some form or fashion
0: i think that's fantastic you know uh, many of my guests have a business focus so they're selling a product or they're selling a service and so there's an ideal experience that they're looking for for that customer but as you're speaking i'm seeing a different Potential experience, it's one outcome for the students, one outcome even for the parents, one outcome for the teacher, as well as the program in and of itself, because the expression alone can allow a, an individual freedom that they might not otherwise have in their everyday life.
1: Exactly. You know, sometimes we do intergenerational workshops, you know, outside of the classroom. And it's, you know, it's amazing. I think the, the adults, the parents... They have more fun than the kids because, you know, we, we, you know, as we get older, sometimes people really, they, they distance themselves from that space of creativity that they had when they were younger, because, you know, they just, they get busy with life, you know, and um, sometimes people have to give a, per, be given permission to be creative and, to, and imaginative. And I just think that we need more of that, you know, even in an adult space.
0: I agree. It's been very interesting, just on a, a side note for myself, the last year, as I've been writing and uh, expanding, I've, you know, written one book, but the, the process of writing more and finding my voice in a different way um, has been very freeing and exciting for me. And I'm, i thinking back to, uh, being in school myself and my writing and what parts of that I took to grow from. I think this is just a phenomenal program. So what, you know, when you, when you look at this and you look at the, the best kind of outcome, you know, what, what do you want these students and their teachers and their families to walk away from after this experience? What do you want them to hold with them for the rest of their
1: lives? I want them to hold on to the fact, the fact that they have power. They have power in their words. They have power to change and transform things. You know, we end almost all of our written correspondence with our students, keep writing. I am not trying to grow the next great playwright. Now, if I come out with that, that's wonderful. That's a bonus. And we have wonderful alums. I mean, we have Adam Goldberg who has Meet the Goldbergs, you know, on television. That's one of our alums. Um, Kiera Alegre-Judez wrote In the Heights with Lynn Manuel. She's a Tony Award-winning Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright. They're, they're wonderful examples and alumna for our students. But really, I think that it's very important for students to be able to express themselves on paper. Well, be able to write, write your congressman, advocate for yourself, you know, um, write a letter to your, 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 your child, you know, express your, your desires and your love for your child in in a letter, just write, continue to write. I want them to understand the power of their own written word.
0: Absolutely. And I, that today is also even more critical, I think, because of how we interact. And there's, um, I guess, I I don't know how to express this the way I want to, but I see so often that people are, they throw darts on social media, for instance, and, uh, think that that's going to make a change or make someone believe your, you know, your perspective. And yet, We don't take enough time to dialogue. And part of that is I think people don't know how to discuss, think through, pull it together in a way that we could have a meaningful discussion. Being able to write first allows your mind to be able to capitalize on points, perspectives, vision, and be able to communicate in a way that is intelligent as well as thoughtful.
1: You know, Michael, there is not one culture on earth that does not utilize storytelling. That is one of the traditions that unites all of humanity. Okay. Every culture has some form of storytelling since the beginning of time. Absolutely. And I just believe that, you know, when you're hearing someone tell a story and they could be very different, they could come from a very different space than where you come from. But when you hear the authenticity in their voice, when you hear the genuineness of what they're sharing with you, most of the time, those differences are transcended by that authentic experience. Someone could tell me a story about how their great grandmother, you know, withstood the horrors of the Holocaust. Now, me, myself, being a middle-aged Black woman, I don't have any family members that went through that experience. But I do have family members that weathered, you know, some horrific things during the Civil Rights Movement, during their time down South, right? But when I hear that, that connects with me and reminds me of my own humanity, and our connectedness. So that's why I think it's very important, you know, like you were saying, for us to sometimes step away from that medium or understand that that medium is very limited. Okay. It does not allow us to really connect human to human. And that's what you get through storytelling, through sharing our experiences.
0: I love it. I And I absolutely agree. I think that's such an important perspective that at the end of the day, we're all human. And in order to really learn and accept and love each other, we have to recognize that in ourselves and in each other. Very good. So let me ask you a little bit different question. You know, knowing what you know now, especially the last couple of years in this position that you've been in, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice that would have Taken you farther, faster, shocked your potential personally, or shocked the potential with this organization. What, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time?
1: You know, I, I was very fortunate when I started um, this position. I, I um, learned about a program at Bryn Mawr College called the, non, the Nonprofit Executive Leadership Institute. And it was just almost like the universe handed me a gift. Um, you know, it's called the Nelly program for short. And I felt like, you know, in my last position, I was the, um, um, the associate director of the Painted Bride Arts Center and so it was I had right over me the executive director then of course the board so it was the board the executive and then myself and I'd been in that position for 16 years and you know and I and I was successful and it was wonderful it was lovely but when I stepped here you know this is a this is a step up now I'm running this organization and this organization has been successful now you know we're going into 30 years next year so you know I, when I stepped in I was like 28 years old you know we were they were moving and grooving and doing very well so I didn't want to you know have too many any missteps and, and, and take us from where we were. So I enrolled in this program. I was accepted into this program. And, um, one of the great parts of the program is there's a lot of exercise that force you to be very self-reflective. There's a lot of surveying about what is your leadership style and, you know, how you interact with others. And one of the things that really shocked me, um, that I learned about myself is that I am a fine leader in that, you know, I have a vision and I can, I can rally the troops and I can, you know, we're going to move this forward and get everybody, you know, on the same page. But what I learned that I was where I was not as strong at is how do I work with others that may not have, you know, the strong personality that I have that might be a little bit more reticent and or or uh, there might be introverts and that as the leader it's from it's it's my job to make those adjustments in how i work with them it's not for them to kind of like manage up to where i am and work with my energy it's as, their, as as the head of the organization, it's for me to make those adjustments. And I can see that I was not doing that in my list. You know what I mean? I was like, listen, either get with the program or step off. <laughs> you know, yeah, honestly, know. I'm going to be honest with you. That's that's what really what it was. And so that was kind of, that was very sobering to me to make that discovery. And I think that that has made a world of difference as I've transitioned into this, you know, new position, this new environment. I'm working with, you know, very different personalities, a lot of younger people that are much younger than I am, you know, listen, some of them by like 20, 25 years, you know, and through this program, I just really learned how to be a lot more mindful of recognizing where people are and, and, you know, how they may act or react to certain things and what their working style is. And so I think that that's, that, that, you know, like I said, it was very sobering. But I think that, you know, as humbling as it was, it was a good lesson for me to learn.
0: I think that's a fantastic piece of self reflection. And it's interesting, because I've been watching all these articles or stories on millennials lately. And I it just somewhere in the back of my head, it keeps kind of nagging me of why are we You know why all of a sudden are we focused only on millennials and how different they are it's really just a perspective of where we are that have are a little farther along in our careers that we're seeing differences and gaps and groups and yet at the end of the day we're still just dealing with people and how we recognize who we are and who they are and find a way to bridge the gap it doesn't matter if they're a millennial or if they're a gen x or if they're you know a baby boomer yeah it doesn't matter they're still just
1: people Exactly,
0: it's very good. That's, and I think that's really important. A lot of the people that uh, will be listening to this podcast on a regular basis are um, are a little younger, and I don't mean in terms of years, but a little younger in their careers. And I, you know, I always ask this question about what would you tell your younger self, you know, earlier in your career, because I think it's important that we recognize there are things we can take at any point in our life and career. That it's you know a, a struggle somebody else has already made a mistake they've already made some you know great lesson and be able to apply it so that we can start to gain some of those benefits and not have to have every scar on our back from what we do ourselves.
1: No, I've always been. Listen, you tell me the pot is hot, I believe exactly. you. Exactly. You know, I don't. I don't need to touch it myself. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to take that and run with it.
0: Exactly. So tell me, as an organization, right now, because especially being 30 years almost, uh, you know really having some great depth of of history in this process and some great success stories. You know, what kind of challenges do you face as an organization today that you're trying to overcome or you're still, uh, you know, that once you do overcome it, it will take you into the next 30 years? You know, what kind of of challenges do you guys face right now?
1: Well, I think that fortunately, we're, you know, we're in a niche situation in that, you know, we're not just strictly education and we're not just strictly arts, we're arts education. And I think that, you know, um, there are a lot of organizations that bring arts education in one form, but we're the only ones that are doing playwriting, you know, where a lot of them are after school programs or out of school programs and things like that. We're during. we're actually embedded in the school day for most of our classrooms. But, Um, challenges are of course, you know, there's, there's always the ever changing trend of philanthropy and who's giving to what. And, you know, I know, especially because of, you know, some of the things that, you know, we've seen most recently between, you know, these devastating hurricanes and things like that, you know, people, you know, people have real basic primary needs, you know, um, that, you know, donors and foundations, you know, are being looked to to help to supplement. And I can really understand that. So where can I be on the spectrum when I'm talking about, you know, playwriting? You know, where is that when someone, you know, we have still have so many people in Puerto Rico without water and, you know, running water and electricity. So we see that, you know, we're going to be challenged by that. Definitely. Definitely, we're going to be challenged by that. I know that. But, you know, um, we're going to keep plugging away because those things always come up. And, you know, we always have to find ways to be creative and and look for funding and and support and continue to tell our story, you know, so we can work with our students. So that's, that's one area. And then I also think that, you know, I'm also seeing, you know, there's all this talk you know, in nonprofit and dealing with young people about this, you know, workforce readiness. And I completely understand that about work workplace uh, readiness and getting students, you know, ready to step into the workforce. But again, I, I say to people, but they still have to know how to communicate and express themselves. And so, you know, I, I squarely place us um, in the middle of all of that saying, listen, a lot of our students are moving forward in school and they may be reading at, you know, a fourth or fifth grade level and they could be in 11th grade. And so they need a program like ours to help them to strengthen their skills. And so, you know, there are things like that, that, you know, you notice these trends and 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 the challenges that other nonprofits are trying to face and you just try to, you know, so how can I work within this new, you know, ecosystem?
0: I think that is... It is so important. You know, I've hired hundreds and hundreds of people throughout my career. And one thing that I have always held to is that if someone cannot put in front of me a cover letter that is well written and a resume that makes sense and highlights really what they do, I don't give them the same attention as as someone who has those things well pulled together. On another uh, element of it, you know, if somebody interviews with me, now I've been, I've made the mental shift that if they send me the follow-up email, I understand that I I do miss the days of the follow-up card. Yes, (laughs) the letter that was written. Uh, I can accept that transition to email, but it's amazing to me how many very established, uh, you know, very experienced people cannot write a simple email that makes sense and is logical and it is appropriate to the situation. And the writing factor is such a critical, that that is it, the ability to express yourself by the written word in a format that makes sense and shows your professionalism, your experience, your dedication, is is still lacking in people that have probably had great resources, uh, at, you know, for them throughout their school years. So, I can I I'm completely in your corner on this one.
1: Well, you know, Michael, it's funny because you know I still I have you know in my t- in the top drawer of my desk I have thank you cards, and I send thank you cards you know to donors to classroom teachers. I take the time you know after I've met with them, well you know thank you so much. I do that. And, you know, I have a, my daughter, Olivia, is a freshman in college. And, you know, you know, she, you know, she just went through the high school graduation, the whole bit. You know, sit down, write those thank you cards, get them out. You know, no more than five days after the, you know, your graduation, they handed that gift over. We're sending a thank you card. I mean, I just think that there's some old school methods that are still the best methods, you know, and people are surprised and they're they will remember that you made that gesture.
0: Absolutely. That you took the time, especially handwritten. It is such a lost art. Yes,
1: it really is. And so, you know, I, I, I do it because I just feel like, you know, and, and a lot of our donors are, are a little bit older, you know what I mean? And I just want them to know, you know, I know that, you know, everyone, I don't care, you know, wealthy or not wealthy, what, ha- what have you, you know, you've made a choice to support us. You know what I mean? And so it's worth me taking, you know, 10, 15 minutes to just sit down and and just, you know, take this card out and write you and let you know. We truly appreciate it. We also made a a switch here where, you know, when donations come in, we we will email the requisite um, information for your tax purposes. But what we did was we made postcards. Um, of our students you know images of our students and I do handwritten you know postcards to them in addition to that to thank them so that you know put it up on your refrigerator so you can see you know this is this is what your money is supporting here you know we're trying to get creative in that way but definitely I have no you know people say so you send them two things yes I do I I really do (laughs) why not (laughs) why not
0: Instead of asking why, ask why not, it, which is, and it's very reflective that we recognize that there are so many different areas of need. And yes, there are certainly areas of basic need, especially where in right now and current that, uh, where the hurricanes hit. And so I can see your challenge with, okay, I, I know there's people who need food, water, and power, and we also still need organizations like this to be able to support our children and help them to the next level of their lives, their career, their, just their ability to interact with each other. It's, it's very challenging. Nonprofits face it all over the all over the place. So tell me a little bit about that though. So in terms of how you get funding for your organization, if somebody's listening today and says, you know, this is really something that speaks to me and, and I want to help be a part of it or even help support it. How do you find your, you know, your donors, your um, supporters, and how would somebody be able to help support your organization?
1: Right. So of course, you know, we have a robust website, you know Philly Young Playwrights dot and you know we um, solicit donations there. People can can donate there. But um, what we do is, you know, we have a challenge in that, like I said, we're embedded during the during the school day, in in our classrooms. And so for a lot of our students, their families don't really understand, you know, that that's how this curriculum is being taught to their, their students, you know, their kid could come home and say, Oh, you know, I'm writing a play. And so they're like, Oh, that's great. You know, your English teacher is teaching you how to write a play. They don't, they don't even understand that there's another organization that's stepping in to do that. And so, and schools, of course, you know, they're very, um, you know, they're not, apt to give us the contact information for our parents. And of course, I understand that's privacy issues and and all of that. They don't want us to solicit directly in that way. So, you know, we do a lot of things where we try to take our students and their work outside of the classroom. We try to take them, um, you know, into the community and um, expose you know our students work to communities that you know may not really understand or 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 you know know what we do, and so it's important for us to always be looking to collect data information so that we can we can work with people there. When I came here, because you know we deal with schools, we have a lot of representation um, in the Philadelphia school district, but we also are in the surrounding counties. And there was the attitude prior to me coming here, especially dealing with the Philadelphia School District, well, you know, we don't really wanna ask, you know, our minority parents for, you know, any money. And I was like, well, why is that? You know, they're like, well, you know, they don't, and I was like, well, that's an assumption we should not be making. You know, because I myself am a minority parent, and I know that when I see someone doing really good work with my kids, you know what I mean. Listen, I'll throw you an extra fifty bucks. You know, I so I said, you know, let's not make that assumption. And so we've changed, and we do, we do. You know, when we have when we have these, you know, what I, what we call them outward facing programs. You know, we do solicit support from our parents and families to help them to continue the work that we're doing and they have been very responsive you know and 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 a lot of our friends like you know they might not have a lot but I had one parent who had triplets and she was like listen I'm sending you ten dollars for each of my kids because I see how much fun they had you know what I mean and so you know that that thirty dollars means the world to me because you know what I mean I really understand that so you know, we also, of course, we we get um, funding support, you know, from the local foundations and, um, you know, the NEA, which is 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 now being threatened. But you know, again, we keep plugging along and working with other groups to, you know, advocate for continued support for arts, culture, and education because we know it makes a huge difference in the lives, you know, of our young people. You know, for so many years, we've been dealing with, you know, STEM, STEM, STEM. Well, now it's STEAM, 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 because you have to add that art component up, you know? And, you know, we've had corporations like Verizon and AT&T. He said, "You know what? Yes, we're all about the stem, but we understand the importance of steam too. And so we're going to support you." And so we're very grateful for that. You know, if you give me just 5 minutes to make my plea. Listen, you're going to be you're going to want to give to this organization. Just wind me up and send me out there because I'll let you know about the good work that we do and how that your contribution makes a huge difference to the students that we, you know, we're able to serve. I
0: love it. I absolutely love it. And that's why I said after I met you for just a few minutes, a few weeks ago, I knew there was something very incredible about this. So it's it's been just a joy to learn more. Well, so just in our last couple of minutes, um, and I had not known this, but tell me a little bit about the podcast that you guys have uh, through your organization.
1: Right, so our podcast is called Mouthful. And what we do is we feature monologues You know, each episode has one monologue that was written by one of our award-winning playwrights. We have monologues that, you know, our students are writing about so many timely issues. We've had issues about um, eating disorders or neighborhood policing, first job experiences, things like that. And so each episode features one of these monologues Performed by a professional actor because I think it's also important to understand that our students write the plays, they don't perform the plays. We hire professional actors to perform our plays, and that's another thing that's shocking because a lot of people say, Oh, Philip Young Playwrights, oh, that's so sweet! You know, we're gonna see nice, you know, kid production, and then they come in and they're blown away because they're like, Oh, no, wait a minute, those were professional actors up there or you know a theater company but yes we contract professional actors to perform the work of the students and that's important also for the students that experience because you know something written on paper is 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 very different than how it's performed so it's important for our students to see their work up on someone's feet and coming out of someone's mouth and that that you know that impacts how they you know may revise their work getting that type of feedback. But back to the podcast. Um, There is a featured monologue performed. Then we have a conversation with the playwright who wrote the podcast. I mean, excuse me, the monologue. Because we think it's important for people to understand the impetus for where this came from. Not all of the work is autobiographical. It could be a special interest of the playwright that they're exploring something. And then we have a broader conversation where we bring in Experts or community members to have you know a discussion. When we did the one about neighborhood policing, it was a very strong and and beautiful monologue written by um, a young student. Uh, excuse me, a high school student at Sheltenham High School. And um, the convert, we had a great conversation with her about the monologue and why she wrote it. And then we went out. And we we spoke to the Upper Darby uh, Police Superintendent Michael Chitwood, and he talked about his challenges in Upper Darby with neighborhood policing. And, you know, it was just wonderful insights. You know, there's always, you know, there's, you know, we hear about all this tension between communities and police officers and things like that. You know, Michael Chitwood just put such a whole different spin on things. You know, he says when he has, you know, new recruits coming in, he says, listen, when you go to someone's home, you treat that home the way you would treat your own. I mean, how often do we get to hear a police officer who talks like that, who, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that there aren't those out there. I'm just saying that they're not given the platform to amplify that philosophy. Well, this podcast allowed him to do that, right? And then we had a conversation with a African-American mother and her son. Her son had just been accepted to University of Penn on a full-ride scholarship. Two days later was the first time he was stopped by police in his neighborhood because he looked like a suspect, okay? So you had this, he went from this great high to, oh, what my parents tried to prepare me for really happened, you know, on a very personal level. And so that's what we do with, with each episode when we were talking about, you know, the eating disorders. That was written by a young woman of color. And then we went to the Renfro Center that deals with, eating disorders and they said you know what this is a wonderful monologue because so many people think that this is a young white woman issue where we see boys and people of color that have eating disorders so you know so what we're trying to do for our students is to show them that the work that they're creating extends far beyond the classroom in which they wrote it.
0: And it opens a dialogue
1: in a different
0: format that you can not only speak, but you can listen, you can be heard, and you can hear others.
1: Yes, I've had parents compliment the podcast because they said it's a wonderful catalyst for conversation around the dinner table. We've had a teacher from Richmond, Virginia, who says that she uses it in her eighth grade middle, her middle school, eighth grade class as a reflective writing tool. So it's just been, you know, it's just been a, a really wonderful vehicle for us.
0: Lisa, I think I I am going to uh, start listening without a doubt. I think it is just phenomenal, the work that you're doing and the impact that it has on our ability to communicate as humans and listen and speak with confidence and competence. That's just absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad I had the opportunity to not only learn more, but to share as well. Any last thoughts that you'd want to make sure we are all left with today?
1: Listen, just keep telling your stories just keep telling your stories sit down you know share stories with your families with your friends your work colleagues you know let's just really continue to to work hard to connect with each other one-on-one i just think that's the most important thing and that's what we're trying to teach our young people
0: i love it and i thank you so much for being a part of this today I will have all of your information on the website and look forward to learning more about Philly Young Playwrights and how you continue to impact the world. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa.
1: Michael, thank you so much for having me.
0: You betcha.